I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm so grateful that you're here with me today. So our newest episode of Once Upon a Gene TV, in honor of Mental Health Month, went live last week over on the Disorder Channel. Our guest is Crystal O'Loughlin, founder of Angel Aid. It's a global network offering services to rare mothers and caregivers. It's such a beautiful community, and they offer so many wonderful resources. So head over to the Disorder Channel and check out the show to learn more. You can download it on your Amazon Fire or Roku to watch. There's also hundreds of other rare disease films, so happy watching. Some really great news in today's episode. I'm joined with Miriam Pharmaceuticals CEO to chat about a huge success of a drug they developed for Allergil Syndrome. You may remember hearing our beloved Anna Laurent way back on episode 36, talking about her life with Allergil and how it, especially the painful itch, affects her. Miriam Pharmaceutical focuses on rare liver diseases and works closely with these families to understand their daily lives. Their genuine connections with these advocacy groups reinforces their sense of urgency to create treatments for these diseases and to help make their lives better. Please enjoy my conversation with Chris Peets. Hi, Chris Peets. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. Absolutely. I saw Allergil in the email when it first came, and you know, we all love Anna Laurent. So that was an automatic yes for me. Awesome. Yeah. The uh, conversation you had with her was was great. I uh, appreciate you hosting this this podcast and letting me be a part of it. Absolutely. I know that as a parent of a little kiddo with a rare disease, our relationships with all stakeholders is so valuable and it all fits together. And it's so important for us to collaborate and communicate and get this work done together. You know, I'm all about helping make sure that we break down these silos because nobody's getting any work done that way. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll kind of wander our way through some of the different ways that at Miram where we're working on a handful of different rare liver diseases that has really been part of why the company was even formed and what we're trying to do all kind of comes from parents of kids with allergial syndrome and, and PFIC um, that helped put these programs on the radar and got us pointed in the right direction to work on them. Mm, I would actually love to start there. What was the beginning stages? Like what was the origin story of Miram? So we were founded uh, just a little bit over three years ago. And our, our programs are actually inside a larger company, uh, part of a company named Shire that uh, it's actually, it's a rare disease focused company that uh, is is no more. It got acquired by a bigger company as these, these things go. And the programs that we have at Miram, it's uh, 
two different medicines, one that's approved called Liv Marley or Merilixabat that's approved for treatment of cholestatic pruritus in patients with allergial syndrome. And then a second one that's in development for some other liver conditions called Velixabat. So these two programs were being developed by uh, Shire, by this, the larger company. And the short way to kind of describe it is they got a little confused by some of the findings in the early studies that were being conducted. As I'm sure you can appreciate with rare disease, a lot of the clinical studies are relatively small. You don't get large numbers to get a real clear picture of things in, in some of these settings. And they decided that they weren't going to take the program forward in-house anymore. And it was actually one of our co-founders, uh, a guy named Mike Gray, who's on, who's on our board, had a relationship with uh, some of the the families that had been involved with the clinical studies of Merilixabat in the the early years, and their kids were doing really well, so had uh, really nice responses on their itch. It's one of the really driving symptoms of allergial syndrome. And our co-founder Mike was at a fundraising event for uh, for one of these groups and saw how great the the families were doing that were on the study and thought, hey, you know, there's there's probably something here that needs some attention. And he and a handful of us teamed up together to start a company to uh, pull it out and get it back on the right course. I love that. What are some of the ways right now that you interact with this patient community? We're active in a number of different rare liver diseases so um, there's there's no there's no kind of one approach or one way that we interact uh, but maybe I'll speak a little bit about the allergial syndrome uh, community in particular uh, given that where we're at as a company is really exciting time uh, with our work in allergial syndrome but worth noting there's a number of other kind of groups that we interact with and try and support you know, new medicines for a number of these different uh, rare diseases. But in allergial syndrome, there is a just a tremendously well-organized and energetic group called the Allergial Syndrome Alliance. And they've been around for many years, over 25 years. And they, our interactions with them, they help give us feedback on uh, things across the board, on our, our research programs, as we've moved to make Live Marley available upon approval, you know, they've, they've provide feedback that comes from the community, from their members. And so we look for, you know, there's just a nice conversation with them about, you know, hearing what the experience is like for the families uh, dealing with allergial syndrome and helps us make sure we're getting the right access for Live Marley as a, a new, med, new medicine available. And that conversation with the Allergial Syndrome Alliance is a key part of that. I know a lot of my listeners are highly motivated parents and families who are raising money and funding research and, you know, giving money away to get research done and to get therapies developed. And that is hard. That's hard. But also, I know that making the drug, making the therapy is extremely complicated. Can we talk about this one in particular and what it actually does and what symptoms it's treating for these patients? Absolutely. So Liv Marley, it's an oral medicine. So it's a, a liquid medicine that kind of a format that looks like children's Tylenol. And what it does is it blocks the absorption of bile acids in the GI tract. So it blocks a transporter that's known as the ileal bile acid transporter. Um, it's a, a protein that's uh, in your GI tract that in normal function, you know, five to 10 times a day will reabsorb bile acids that are part of digestion. So you think about food, you eat foods, bile is secreted. It con contains bile acids that help 
break down fats and part of just regular nutrient absorption. And the body reabsorbs those molecules themselves too to reuse them. So there's this kind of normal recirculation of bile acids. In settings of cholestasis, an allergial syndrome uh, results in pretty severe cholestasis. It's on, uh, among the, the most severe. That is a term that describes where bile acid flow is disrupted and they end up with, uh, allergial syndrome patients can end up with very uh, elevated uh, levels of bile acids systemically. So it's a, it's a digestive agent that then is at very high levels circulating uh, throughout the body. So what Liv Marley does is it blocks that reabsorption to help those excess bile acids pass out of the body. So you're just quite simply trying to get rid of excess accumulated bile acids. That's the, the intent of the medicine, what it's trying to do. And in the setting of, of patients, what we've seen in our clinical studies is that the itch that is such a huge burden for these patients, it's, even to call it itch really almost gives the wrong picture of it. It's this uh, described as just a, a relentless beneath the skin itching sensation that you know, disrupts sleep, you end up with kids that will break their skin trying to get at this itch. And what we saw in the clinical studies is that the itch improves with Liv Marley. And that's what the medicine's been approved for is based on the clinical studies where you see itch improve in children with allergial syndrome that uh, have this cholestatic pruritus or itch. I've seen a lot of the stories from patients in the allergial community and how complex this itch problem is, not just from the insane need to do it, but all the other things that can happen, right? Like how it affects their mental health, how it affects their energy level, how it affects so many things. And I wonder what were some of the key points that you've heard feedback from, from the community of how this medication or this therapy has affected them that you were surprised by? Well, I think the observation of just how devastating this itch is and how it just is pervasive across every aspect of life and, and the overwhelming impact of it of it is what's so surprising. And we know it's we know it's an issue and but when you hear families talk about it, how they can't sleep and how they have trouble managing, you know, because the family's not sleeping, they hear stories of, you know, people not being able to get to work, um, kids not performing well at school. And you know, some of these other kind of observations on the clinical study where you hear about you know, some of the uh, fatigue scores improve. And we've also had some really interesting data from one of our academic collaborators that uh, with long-term therapy, uh, because of this, this itch is improved, which in many cases is a reason to actually go for a liver transplant in uh, patients with allergial syndrome that uh, we, we may be you know, postponing or deferring some of those transplant decisions. Early feedback from that is that by addressing this itch, you're getting at one of the you know, major issues in caring for uh, patients with allergial syndrome. And that's just the pervasiveness of it on how much burden it causes. That's what's so striking uh, about what we're hearing about early feedback from families uh, starting with Marley. Mm. That's incredible. What's your favorite part of the process so far in your work? Oh, I guess it's hard to pinpoint it. It's all been, um, I must say, just such an uh, amazing program to be a part of. 
And the way that all stakeholders have come together around this, I think, is, is one of the, the highlights to comment on. You mentioned a little bit about how the company was formed uh, with you know, some of the just relationships, knowing, seeing and knowing that there were uh, families seeing an effect from, uh, from the studies. But then that was carried forward in conversations with FDA and you know, the regulators being you know, really open to recognizing what the burden and unmet need is for allergial syndrome. You see them do, do this in a number of different rare disease settings where there was a, an open dialogue and conversation with them on the studies that we had ongoing and we went to them and said, here's what we're seeing and uh, you know, what should we, what kind of analyses should we run? What else do we need to file this for approval? And had a really just supportive conversation with FDA and also, you know, the Allergy Syndrome Alliance also being part of that conversation, helping to just have this, you know, multi, multi-party conversation about how to get a new medicine available was uh, just an amazing uh, experience to go through. And the, the results really being so rewarding to now have uh, new medicine available for this, for the, the cholestatic curitis and allergial syndrome. Yes. I imagine there were some popping bottles in the office when that happened. It was an exciting moment, you know, but <laughs> we're, you know, we're so semi-virtual right now that uh, it, oh, takes, yeah. it takes a little bit of the uh, <laughs> sizzle off of it. Across the board, we're still, you know, I still have to uh, pinch myself at times. And it really comes home when you get to have a conversation with a family. Uh, we've had a few opportunities like that through either the Alliance or also just um, through some of our own activities where families have reached out and given their feedback on you know, how impactful having a new medicine is. And that's, that's why we're in this business. Yes. Well, and as a caregiver to a child with a different rare disease, I see what companies and like you are doing at Miram and that's a win for me. You know, you might not be curing my son's rare disease of CTNNB1. Uh, let me know if you want to. But when I see this happening, like this is a win for all of us. We're all cheering on when our friends get a rare disease treatment or therapy or some sort of drug because it's pushing rare disease forward no matter what. Absolutely. That's what as I mean as a group that's what we're trying to do is find more live Marleys or more or more settings where our, our current medicines can uh, have a, an impact like this. Um, it's addictive, <laughs> got to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. when you, to have gone through the past few years with the company, um, just want to keep going and find more. Do you feel like there's a different kind of energy with all of the stakeholders and what you're doing now with rare disease than perhaps other pharma or biotech companies that you've worked for in the past? Absolutely. I, I feel it, it, everything day to day. Just And it, it just comes down to the the impact and the potential uh, stakes for, for everybody involved are so meaningful. For rare disease, a lot of these uh, different medicines that we're working on and that you see other companies working on, the impact can really be life-changing and means so much that it brings that dedication and, and passion, not only from you know the families and the parents like yourself, but also for employees and us. You know, as we're building out the company, it's a good, it's a great rallying cry. You know, people want to work for something that can have that kind of dramatic impact on uh, the lives of others. Uh, and that, so we see the energy in the people here at Miram. We see it in other companies in the industry, uh, and it's it's part of what gets you excited to get out the door in the morning. 
Yes, yes. Well, I know this is obviously extremely expensive to do what companies like yours does. And most people don't want to touch rare disease with a 10-foot pole because there just isn't enough data, there aren't enough patients, and there's no money. But what about the other side? What about the fact that science is moving at such an incredible pace and it's so exciting and we're learning new things every day and we're finding new genetic codes every day? Like, how can you not want to be in that part? Like, how do you make those decisions? The complexity of the science really can be overwhelming, right? And that's the, the backdrop that we try to navigate is that, you know, any, any disease process, let alone a rare disease where you just, you don't know as much. There's not as, as much published. There's not as much understood. For as, as we look at kind of where we think we can make an impact, we try and find areas where you can see through the science and have that, you really, end of the day, it can be a really simple observation like in the cholestatic settings. The bile acid overload is causing issues. What if you find a way to lower the bile acid levels? So those kinds of ways that you can cut through a lot of noise in the science ultimately is where you can find products that you can make it across the finish line. They're easy to understand. The, it's easier to design a study and know what to measure uh, that's that's often a, a problem, especially in emerging areas where you sometimes don't even know what to measure when you're testing a, a new medicine. So that's one of the lenses we look at on kind of where where we're going next, where to invest the money that we do have uh, towards uh, new potential medicines. How do you decide what other rare diseases that you want to treat? Like what's in your pipeline, if you can answer that, if that's not a secret? Or like how do you even get these ideas? Currently, the stuff the, that we're working on, the, our, our pipeline is really focused on bile acids. So right now, our, our next kind of two, two big missions in my mind on what we're trying to do in the near term with, with Miram as a company, one is to just broaden access to Live Marley as much as possible. So making sure that patients with uh, puritis due to allergial syndrome uh, have uh, an ability to, to gain access to, to treatment as appropriate. And the second one is to take what we've learned from the allergial syndrome experience and take that across other liver diseases that have some similar issues with bile acids and puritis. And that's what's in our pipeline. Uh, so we're looking at what we've learned kind of back again to, you know, cutting through the noise in the science and finding something that, that seems clear is that these bile acids are driving a lot of the puritis in these different settings. Uh, and that's where we have five other uh, indications. And a lot of it's oriented around that, taking what we've learned and expanding the impact of it. And then kind of the, the where next is a little bit more open-ended and we have a high bar. We want to find potential new medicines that can have an impact like what we're seeing with Live Marley. Things that you know we ultimately can get approved and help patients and families get access to. That's very cool. How do you broaden access? Right now, um, you know, a lot of we're we're kind of in the midst, early days of launching Live Marley commercially in the U.S. And so our focus in the U.S. has been a lot based on our uh, our patient hub. So we have a. A patient hub called Miram Access Plus, and it's uh, a team of folks that are dedicated to the Live Marley program that families can call, that physicians can call, and just to make sure that we're supporting any questions people have as they're uh, considering uh, treatment options. So making sure we have 
you know, trained people that can help those, the families and the prescribers navigate uh, any questions or processes that uh, that they might need to uh, in considering starting their patient or if they're you know if their patient is appropriate for prescribing Live Marley. Then the other piece of that's geographic, right? So we're launching in the U.S., but the allergy syndrome is a global disease. It, from what we see, it presents at a pretty similar rate around the globe. So we've done a lot of work on finding ways to get approvals outside the U.S. Right now, we're in review in Europe. So there's a, a very similar uh, app to FDA, a, a European regulatory body that has its own process and procedures that we're in the midst of. We've got a, a team of people in Switzerland that are going to help set up the distribution and access for patients in Europe. And then we've also signed up other companies and other countries around the world. So distributors and license partners that can essentially broaden our reach because we're a pretty ambitious group, but also know our limitations that, uh, you know, there's some countries where we just, we won't have the bandwidth or ability to uh, to commercialize there. So we sign up partners to, to help get access for those patients. Wow, that is so intense. There's just so much extra behind the scenes that goes on to get these drugs out. And also just kind of annoying, right? That if you have this diagnosis, you can't just get a medication because of your geographic area. It can be surprisingly complex. And each country, as, as you'd expect, has its own regulatory uh, environment. And so it's a, each country is a little bit different on how you help families get access. Just out of curiosity, do companies like yours figure out ways to repurpose the drugs that you've created or the therapies that you've created? In a way, I think repurpose probably isn't the word that I would use to describe it, but you know, it's to the point I was making about some of the other cholestatic diseases that we're active in. It's more finding, uh, running the studies to see if you have a, a role in some other similar diseases or diseases with similar bile acid issues. You know, some might call that repurposing, but really it's, it's running studies to broaden the reach uh, of Liv Marley. And then Velixabat, our second drug, is a similar idea where we're testing it in three different adult liver diseases. The kind of interesting point to make on repurposing is that you know originally the, the molecules that are our products were originally designed with different diseases in mind they were originally designed to lower cholesterol because bile acids are related to cholesterol and it wasn't until you know partway through some of the clinical studies that it was realized that hey you know this is directly uh, active on bile acids wouldn't it be more relevant to test these in diseases of bile acids. So kind of the repurposing uh, happened even before we started. Wow, that's super cool. What are some of the ways that advocacy groups and general rare disease groups can help push forward, like help get these things approved, help get these in other countries? Like, do they play any piece in advocating for that? Or is it all bureaucracy? They play a huge role. Yeah, I mean, this it's the, the impact that the patient groups have in working through the regulatory processes and outside the U.S., the reimbursement processes, they get involved quite a bit as well. And the impact is, is massive that they, uh, for the role they play. Because, you know, back to the, the main issue with rare disease is that it's rare. And the, the patient groups provide that voice and awareness that can help educate regulators. 
There's a great example of FDA. FDA's got uh, these patient-directed forums for, uh, for they're basically listening sessions that they've set up to basically an opening for patient groups to come and talk about their experience with the disease. Those can have a huge impact on helping educate FDA and help them find ways to give pathways for companies to develop new medicines. And there's similar, it's, all, it's in slightly different formats in each country. Again, back to the global complexity here. The patient groups do so much to educate not only the regulators, but the researchers too, and just being able to talk about what what is the experience like in, in dealing with the very complex aspects to any given rare disease. It helps researchers understand, you know, what should we measure? What, what are we looking at in these clinical studies? It helps the regulators uh, then understand what they can use as a basis to evaluate and approve the medicine. Yes. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, I think that the personal stories from the patient and caregiver population can be transformative, right? And it can help people who are doing this serious job and, you know, following all these rules all the time, actually kind of stop and go human to human and be excited about why they were there in the first place. And I just think magic can happen when you're hearing from the community itself. Absolutely. It is the reason why we're developing these medicines. So you if, if you're not talking with the families or patients and hearing their perspective on it, it's, it's hard to you know, be, be on point. Um, that's, that's why we're here is to develop products for, for the families and patients. What would you say are some of the misconceptions about pharmaceutical companies and what do you hope that more of them get better at? Well, I think the attention and desire to to really hear the patient experience and develop products that are relevant for the day-to-day burden of disease is something that gets can get lost in the shuffle of large companies. And that's something that, uh, you know, as an industry and uh, as a small company, I think everybody's trying to stay more patient directed. And so you see some bigger companies at least have the perception of, of not being as attentive to that. From the, you know, day one at Miram, uh, we've tried to make that a core part of who we are and I hope we continue to do that and hope that, uh, you know, other uh, pharma companies continue to increase their efforts as well. That's that's why we're here is making products for patients. So having that patient voice and experience be front and center uh, is a key part to all this. 100%. All right. Well, I'd love to know about upcoming goals, things you're excited about with the company for the next couple years. Yeah. I mean, for us looking ahead, it's, you know, the, the point on broadening access. So, you know, getting further into the commercialization of Live Marley for puritis and allergial syndrome. And then we have five really exciting clinical studies in different rare diseases that are following. So we have two more pediatric settings where we're testing Liv Marley. We'll have a, a readout from our study in PFIC, progressive familial intrahepatic cholestasis, later this year, and a study in biliary atresia, adult studies in primary sclerosing cholangitis, primary biliary cholangitis, and intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy. So a lot of cholestasis words I've thrown at you there, but these are all just rare diseases that where the bile acids have kind of run amok. Uh, and very excited about all of our studies ongoing in these other settings. Uh, I hope that we can have an impact like we're having in allergial syndrome. 
Yes, that's so exciting. How do people find out if they fit into one of your clinical trials? Where do they get this information? The first easy source is clinicaltrials.gov. And that's a government-hosted website. And our studies are there with the details. It can be a little technical. So we also, uh, from our website, from the Miram Pharma website, we have links to some study-specific websites as well because the clinicaltrials.gov is not always the most user-friendly, but so a couple of places to go to. And then of course, you know, always the, you know, going straight to your physician and asking about clinical research helps bring everybody uh, to the table, actually. So that's, that's another easy place to start. Great. And with the clinical trials, I don't know if you know this answer, but is there some option to make it more accessible for people? Do people have to plan to pick up and move and for a few months? Or are, are a lot of the appointments and kind of check-ins available to do online now? It's a mix. And we do, we, this This is something that we struggle with because there are some regulatory requirements where you have to do some in-person visits. With the pandemic, it's lightened up some of those requirements. And we found ways to do more virtual visits where people might not have to go to a major uh, medical center. And uh, you know, some of our, our studies are also kind of spread across the country too, uh, and in other countries. So we try and get a good just geographic spread on where the study centers are and then you know as much as possible uh, limit the amount of kind of in-person visits as we can just to because that you know clinical trial burden the visit burden it, it's a real issue for participating in some of these studies so we're trying to do our best to balance that yeah I think everyone needs their own clinical trial concierge yeah we uh, so we've we have uh, some services like that actually those, those do help they help you know to coordinate travel if there's travel involved and help with scheduling. Well, Chris, I'm super excited to have learned about this. And I'm so happy for the community that you've been developing therapies for and just the global rare disease community in general. That means a lot to us. And it doesn't matter what diagnosis and what walk of life you're coming from. We're a tight knit family. And I'm really excited to hear this news. And I wish you all the best of luck. And I'm happy to spread this message with my network and help however I can to push things forward with you. Great. Well, I really appreciate you hosting me. And also just, you know, thanks for the work that you do to be a voice for rare disease. Uh, It's great to um, have a platform like this for, you know, the different families, researchers and companies that are, are working in the space. It's much appreciated. It's good work. Yes. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, Please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. Ha 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 ha!